I started in Sydney in, uh, as a pesky kid interested in radio and um, pushing my way into a commercial radio station that was near my school. And from there, um, it was the beginning of community radio, so I found that when I went to uni, there was actually a community station to SER. So I started there. I produced ethnic programs. I was on air. So I got involved with the ethnic sector right back then. Um, then I worked in Burke at a community radio station there, and that took me to the ABC. And when I left the ABC, I started Radio Info because I figured that if I was hungry for news about radio in a place called Burke, where I had to wait till Thursday for the Sydney Morning Herald Pink Guide to get to me and read the little column about radio. Probably people were interested and I could do it on this new thing called the internet. So <laughs> Radio Info is now, I'm proud to say, the industry's radio bible and you can read lots of things, including a story about today's conference as lead story right now, uh, radioinfo.com.au. Uh, I headed the radio faculty at Afters for a long while and now I'm head of the uh, Media Academy for the Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Union. I think um, I really liked the comments of the local member because I think she summed it up. Community radio, especially community radio. I mean, all of radio, yes, but community radio really did connect people when they couldn't connect physically. So I think that's a key point and all around the world as well as here that has been a common theme because radio had people there on the other end of the uh, other end of the line that you could talk to that you could listen to that you could feel connected with unlike television which had lots of pre-recorded programs that were being shown um, and um, yes you could connect on social media but it didn't feel like a family. It felt like talking to your friend one-to-one. -one. Um, and, of course, radio delivered all the other things that we needed, the ability to hear music, feel part of something, even if we couldn't go to a venue. So I think that that's a key point. And the other point, I would say, is that COVID has accelerated change and the knock-ons from COVID. I mean, not the, the disease itself, but lockdowns and everything else that came with that has accelerated our consumption of new forms of digital delivery and uh, there's a lot to be talked about there. Sometimes we just look at ourselves from our own point of view. This has helped us look at ourselves from outside. So as you said, the government realised it was pretty important and now funding is coming back. And you just touched on the audience. I mean, that's the first time we've talked about the audience and never forget they're there, uh, we're, we're here for them. And so when you look from the audience point of view, yes, radio, community radio, ethnic radio is essential, but let's take it further. Let's think about audio, not just radio, because really that's the essence of what we're in, delivering free audio to people who need it. Audio has come to prominence, not just the radio transmitter, what else you can do with the audio you make for the radio transmitter through streaming, podcasts, um, music <coughs> online services. The consumption of that 
jumped hugely during the pandemic because people already knew they were out there, they were just starting, but when you're in lockdown, your commuting habits to and from work have changed. So, uh, you know, um, that was an immediate change. Maybe you had a smart speaker at home, you'd plugged it in, you didn't really know how it worked, but now you were working from home, so you started to find out, oh, I can use that for some music and things in the background. Oh, I can talk to it, I can ask for things. I don't actually have to find the place on the dial. That streaming service, you realise that um, the music that would come there um, was in a whole lot of ways, and maybe you could find some ethnic music there too. So the audience expanded the way it was consuming audio, and they're ready for the next things. Some stations and some programs have jumped to that, and they're now delivering it, but the opportunity is huge. The way that um, community broadcasters make programs is perfectly suited to podcasting and online delivery as well. My wife's Italian, born here of Italian parents. My son did the Italian school for a few years and then didn't bother about it anymore. Um, and he's very Aussie. But now he's moved out with his girlfriend. It's his job to do the cooking because she works late. And he's got on to Pasta Nonna's, a YouTube channel, which teaches him to cook authentic <laughs> pasta from Italy. So talk about new audiences. Um, here's the next generation coming and what do they want? They want a whole lot of things, but he wants culture through cooking. Um, he, it's helping him now practice his Italian, which he learnt on Duolingo, taught himself. He's using his Italian passport to travel to Italy next month. Joe Rogan and Friendly Geordies. So his name is Jordan Shanks. Um, he's a New South Wales um, young broadcaster, podcaster, YouTuber. If you haven't heard of him, search him because he's quite controversial. Um, he was um, very much against um, the New South Wales government on a few issues. Uh, so that's his background. And I've been really looking at it because I hate to stay in the past. I love this medium, but it keeps changing and I want to keep changing with it and I want to be at the front of it. So I look at people like Friendly Geordies and Joe Rogan and I'm trying to figure out what are they doing, what's good about it and what's not so good about it. And as I look at these two hugely successful podcasters and YouTubers, the observations I would make are that one, they put themselves into the story. And, of course, as a personality broadcaster, you always put yourself in. But how much of yourself you put in and why you put it in, I think, is a question. And sometimes I think they go over the line. Um, and another characteristic I thought about with both of these, when they interview interesting, sensible guests, they are great. And Joe Rogan when he interviews Elon Musk and huge um, world leaders, the conversations are in-depth, well-researched and interesting. And he lets the person talk. So that's great. That's really good and they're just fascinating conversations. He'll go for two hours and the drop-off rate of his podcast is almost zero. But then next week he won't have a guest and he will talk to two of his friends. They will ramble for an hour. They will th 
they will talk about half-remembered things. Oh, this thing that I read on a website, and uh, you know, no sources, no references, no accuracy, just crap, nonsense, misinformation. And because sometimes these podcasts are good, people believe the trash that's on the <laughs> other ones. So that brings me to a core issue. I think this brings out, which is trust. So if we don't do our job properly, we will lose trust. Or else, if people trust us and we do our job badly, they will believe the misinformation that we're putting out. And I think there's a big discussion to be had around trust in all media in all of the world at the moment. Um, let me take you to Afghanistan. Um, some of you may know that um, before COVID, I was going there regularly and staying for a month or two at a time for about five years, working with various projects. One was Pashwok, a journalist reporting service. Um, the other one was Nye Radio and a training school um, and, and working with a range of different projects. And I've been in touch with those people now since the change of government in Afghanistan. Uh, and I just want to il illustrate the need um, of media. Pajwok is still going. You can look it up. Pajwok means mirror in Pashtu, pajwok.com. Um, they are still reporting uh, about what's happening. There are some things they can't report. The head of Pashwak had to flee the country. He's now in Canada. I helped him um, get his connections to get out. And he's got a small grant to run the organisation remotely from there. Um, many of the reporters for Pashwak cannot go to the office anymore. Um, the ones who write what the Taliban likes can go there. They will not be killed, kidnapped, their kids beaten up. Or, um, or the office bombed um, because the Taliban know they need media and they allow Pashwak to keep operating because they need media and they need people to report what they want to report. But in all the provinces, there are just people wandering around like everyone else with these things and some of them mm. are reporters for Pashwak and they file remotely and now the editors are in Canada reporting safely. That's a great example of the importance of media in a time where media is being throttled, controlled, etc. And um, from Nye Media Institute and Nye Radio, I am still in contact with a woman who was an amazing broadcaster, a great presenter. Um, she started... In, a, in the radio course and was fabulous, felt very comfortable on radio. Um, but then she did the television course and she was an amazing television news presenter. And I said to her, well, that's your career, surely? And she said, well, sadly, no, because if my face was shown on television, then I would not be alive. But maybe if I can produce television, I will break ground for my daughters and they will be seen on television one day. Well, sadly now, she and her daughters are back in the home, not allowed out, um, having to wear the, the burqa. Um, and there's a lot that's going to have to be done to fix that situation in time. Uh, but at least, as a reporter, 
she is still there, she has her skills and she will do the best she can to uh, report on what's going on from a woman's perspective. 